Thank you. Welcome to Schmears the Deal. I'm Nick Feynman here with Jake Seawalk. Jake, where are we today? We're Black Seed Bagels. One of our favorite spots. One of our favorite places in the East Village. So this is our first official recording here but so we did a couple of previous yeah, this here. is our third trip here which is pretty fun and we're i will say pretty big fans overall yeah. in today's episode we have a great and exciting interview with head baker diana dowhong and we're also going to talk about mention schmuck of the week which is our recurring segment we're going to review the film spotlight we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into whistleblowers which yeah will be pretty interesting pretty excited about that me too uh, and of course then we'll have our final toast and just a couple of quick notes if you could follow us on twitter instagram Toss us a follow. Um, give us a review on iTunes if you like us. It's been really helpful so yeah, far. Yeah, we've uh, we're we've been drifting right around the top ten of new and noteworthy uh, travel podcasts, which is which, which is, is a lot of fun. fun. And it doesn't really make that big of a difference for us because we get to eat the bagels either way. But hopefully, other people will hear us talk about them, which yeah. is the goal. And that brings us to someone we're talking to today, who is Diana Dowhong, who is the head baker. Do I have that right? At Black Seed Bagel. Absolutely. And the shop here is pretty cool. We, we're sitting in the back area. There's cool tile floor, back sort of green, it's sort of hard, with mirrors, green door panel almost, I would describe. Like Some a seafoam green. Seafoam green, you'd say. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Southern Florida vibe almost. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree I, with that. I see, it, I see it. But the thing that really stands out about this shop is the big oven and baking area in the front when you first walk in, which I'm guessing you spend a lot of your time Absolutely. in. Absolutely. So I guess we can just start with what is a pretty baseline question. What sets Black Seed apart? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we're in New York City. Um, I think when Black Seed came about, it was kind of uh, before this weird artisanal bagel boom happened in this previous year and a half to two years um you know obviously once we opened there was Sedell's that open and then all of a sudden you just see a, a huge flourish of, of new bagel stores happening um so basically what we did we brought Montreal and New York together um we don't like to say we're strictly Montreal we don't like to say we're strictly New York we're definitely a hybrid what to elaborate what exactly is a Montreal bagel or specifically what's a what is the hybrid you have going yeah, on here? Yeah, so I guess we can start off with the Montreal bagel um, is basically, you know, not just speaking about our bagel, um, but Montreal bagels in general are definitely a little bit on the smaller side compared to New York bagels. They're a lot more dense. Um, I want to say they're a little bit closer to a pretzel density um, rather than like a roll or an English muffin. Right. Um, and they're also the honey. The honey plays a huge uh, part into what makes Montreal Montreal and also the the cooking method uh, using a wood fire oven um, which obviously you mentioned earlier in a wood fire oven for people that aren't I guess in the business is more of like a pizza oven exactly it is it's exactly a pizza oven yeah. and so specific so that's Montreal bagel which mm -hmm. is and is there a preparation difference in um I mean not really the I mean like I said we speaking more specifically now to a black seed bagel um you know, we use the honey water instead of malt syrup in, um, you know, because a lot of people use malt syrup to kind of give bagels a shine as they boil. We actually, we were at Tompkins last week and they showed us their malt syrup, which is exactly. like this, it looked like a giant tub of glue, <laughs> I would say. I'd say mol molasses, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glue-lasses. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, yeah. So instead, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> That's a good You're one. I like the hybrid joke. of that. <laughs> well, Jake, Jake likes to make fun. I, I have a lot of dad humor. I would say, like, uh, we have something disproportional amount, like exclusively dad humor. What are you talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about? <laughs> I'm in the same club then. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so so instead of malt, we use honey, and like I said, I, I think the biggest thing that makes us special is definitely this wood oven thing. It, it takes way more time, way more labor. Um, you know, a lot of traditional bagel shops have, uh, a f- it's called a fish oven. The fish is the brand, and it kind of is just a convection oven that rotates around. How, how does that differentiate the end product? Yeah, so, um, I mean, you, you get a little bit of the smokiness, but it's not like you're smoking a brisket for 15 hours. Right. So it's not an intense smokiness, but it does give the outside a little bit more of a char. Um, you know, some people complain about this, but I kind of like it that, you know, every bagel is different because depending where it is in the oven, you might get one a little bit darker if it's in the back. You might get one a little bit lighter if it's in the front. So every bagel is kind of like a snowflake. It's very different. Um, but mainly the texture does come out a little bit more crispy on the outside, um, softer in the inside. But, you know. Cool. And when you're th- and this is something that I... Like that I always find really interesting. When you're thinking about the taste in relationship to what's going on the bagel, mm-hmm. how are you thinking about that when you're mixing all of your ingredients, when you're using the honey as opposed to uh, the malt syrup, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so that's funny because we actually, um, you guys are actually tasting the salmon right now. So we like to kind of play up on the... I, th- I think we both finished the salmon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we each got, we got a salmon bagel and then we got a more, I guess, unique bagel. It's their number 24. Do you yeah, it's our number 24. It's our newest thing. Um, it's only at the East Village location. So... Where we are today. Right. So it's smoked salmon, a fried egg, um, caramelized onions, and arugula. Should we both try it? Oh, yeah, you guys have yeah, to take a mean, bite of it. Please, yeah. please, well, please. While it's hot, too. <laughs> so that's how you got to eat it. <laughs> we're, we're trying. <laughs> I have found it's very, this is a very specific comment to this podcast. It's very hard to break into half a bagel mid, wow. mid-talk. It's a, <laughs> it's a big responsibility, I would say. So while we do this, could yeah. you explain how you got involved in the bagel business? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, telling by my name, you, you know, I'm not the typical fat Jewish baker that like has, you know, generations and generations not speaking of I like that you're looking at like two two Jews across the table from you. I like to think I'm honorary, to be honest with you. It sounds like you've earned it at this point. Yeah. uh, So basically I I started cooking at Mile End and uh, Noah Burnhamoff, the owner there, maybe five, I guess it's been like five, six years later. To to give a little background, Mile End is the owning company of Black Seed, right? Correct. So two delis in Mm -hmm. the New York area? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they have a deli in um, uh, Carroll Gardens, Borm Hill, and then they have one in um, Nolita. But yeah, so I started cooking just on the line with them, you know, learning the typical, like learning how to cut smoked meat. Um, And then he eventually wanted to do some baked goods, helped him out with that. Five years later, he approaches me. I want to open up a bagel shop. I need somebody to help. I was like, yeah, why not? And, um, you know, like I said, even though I'm not Jewish, I do feel like there is a special part with Jewish baked goods. There's just so much history behind it that I think just being in this kind of uh, cuisine, I guess you could say, for so many years, I've just grown to appreciate it. Well, yeah, and it. You're, you're certainly in the right city for it. Oh, also, yeah, absolutely. So. I always <laughs> tell people, I'm like, you know, you might not be Jewish, but if you've lived in New York for long enough, you eventually culturally become Jewish, you know? We, so we 
obviously love bagels because yeah. we're doing this podcast, right. but we neither of us have ever baked a bagel. What is one tip you would have, just something we wouldn't know about that either how you can tell the dough's ready or something, yeah. a little insider tip you could give us about baking bagels? Um, so obviously every location makes their bagels differently. Some do a, star, uh, a sourdough starter. Um, with us, we use a, a mother dough that was made from before to kind of give it a little bit more added flavor. But I think the biggest key I give to people with if they're going to make bagels at home is the boiling process because that is what makes a bagel a bagel. You and know? what and what is the boiling process? Yeah, so here, like I was saying, we use honey water. A lot of people use malt syrup. But the boiling process is what gives the bagel that chewiness, that, densi- uh, that density. If you were just to put the bagel into the oven without boiling it, it would end up definitely more of a, of a soft texture and a roll and not as chewy, not that expected... Um, you know, texture that you want from a bagel. What's your favorite bagel? I really like a plain bagel with just butter. I, I know that sounds boring, but after you no, just... let the bagel take charge. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you kind of just actually get to taste the dough and get to taste the work that goes behind. Like, you get to taste the wood fire a little bit more, so... How about on the exact opposite end of the spectrum? What's the... Oh, man. What is the worst bagel order you've ever heard? Oh, God, there's been so many. <laughs> this is my favorite question, by the way. Always. <laughs> Um, I, I don't want to say the worst because everybody has their own favorites. You know, I, but I try when someone not walks to in judge. and says it, you're just like, oh, come there on. There's def- definitely a gentleman that came in. He asked for almond butter with locks, and I forgot. I think it was just regular butter and a tomato. The the almond butter <laughs> part. You lost me at almond butter. Yeah, I just didn't get the combination. I'm like, oh, maybe he's onto it. So I kind of made myself one just to <laughs> just to see because I was just so curious. He wasn't onto it. It wasn't <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it wasn't the worst thing I ever tasted, but it was it's it was interesting. <laughs> we, we brought this up before we started recording, but do you ever get sick of bagels? I mean, you eat or taste them every day, right? Right. No, no, no. I mean, I honestly still eat them in the morning when I'm at home too. It's just I think it's not such an aggressive thing. It has so many things you can do to it. You can make a pizza bagel, make you know a sweet bagel, or it's not like a donut where you can just you know want to vomit after eating 10 of them <laughs> where do you guys get your schmear and fish from yeah so um oh what i was saying earlier um the salmon that you guys are eating right now is kind of a collaboration with us and acme and greenpoint gotcha. um it's our new double smoke salmon so kind of playing up on that that wood smoke we went to acme and we worked with them saying like hey we want to really do something different and you know not the traditional like you can barely taste the smokiness and that's why it's kind of it's a little bit more, more butter yeah exactly when you eat it on its own you really can taste it's the really good yeah. this sandwich is delicious We're oh, good. Good. although good. it's tough tougher to eat even than <laughs> bagel mocks especially with yeah. a microphone yeah. i would say um but yeah the, the salmon's from acme and greenpoint and then the um, cream cheese is from ben's uh cream cheese which is upstate which i think a lot of places use them but for how much we go through, um, they're definitely like the most—they're the most delicious, and you know. But we eventually we do want to uh, kind of start producing our own cream cheeses and work with cool. somebody upstate. So, last question: mm-hmm. What is the most important reason to get a bagel? Breakfast, dinner, or you're hungover? Ooh, ooh. that's a tough one. You even—you didn't even put lunch in there. Okay, we can toss lunch <laughs> in there. We'll add a fourth option. <laughs> Oh, I man. I vote lunch. Right, right? I mean, that's because you're used to your 2.30 time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, man, 
I want to say all the time. It's hard for me to choose, but may, maybe breakfast, just because it's you know the first meal of the day. But then again, it's hard to say like when you're hungover. Nothing is better than a bagel with egg and cheese, and you know. That sounds so <laughs> good. <laughs> you're you're like, eating a bagel even, right now. You I just already, finished. A, I already finished a full bagel. I could eat another one. <laughs> well, thank you very much yeah, for joining you, us and I talking to us. It. Uh, it's been really interesting, yeah, and we will be back with our recurring segment, Mention Schmuck of the Week, and our review of Spotlight. This is Schmear's the Deal. Those were the days when I was just a poor schmuck, as opposed to now. Now I'm a rich prick. <laughs> Ever notice how the word prick invariably follows the word rich? If you're rich, you have to be a prick. Same way the word schmuck always follows the word poor. If you're poor, you're a schmuck. Why else would you be poor? So I went from a poor schmuck to a rich prick without hardly any transition. Welcome back to Schmear's the Deal. I'm Jake Seawalk. He's Nick Feynman. We're at Black Seed Bagels in the East Village of New York City. We are. I, those bagels were fantastic. Really at, on point, is what I was going to say. I, I have learned, though, and this is just a general thing about me, I'm very bad about at eating bagel sandwiches. Not the traditional lox cream cheese. That's a little easier for me to manage. You mean like liter- just like skill level? Skill level is not good. Like I, I've Interesting. This sandwich, I'm a notoriously poor eater. And, and you pulled it off. I, I pulled did not. it off. <laughs> You're a notoriously poor eater? You've yeah, been yeah, just over the years the judged as... Uh, no, no, just the sea wax as a whole, specifically my father and myself, are always getting food on our face and in our teeth. <laughs> and the, the longer the, the beard I grow, the more I also get it in the beard. It's just... A, it's everywhere. So let's, uh, let's move into our recurring segment. This is Mention Schmuck of the Week. Let's. I think a mint is... Like a superhero. They're looking at him like, what a schmuck. All right, Nick, you want to start us off? Sure. Mensch of the Week. Mensch of the Week, not a surprise that they are the Mensch. Surprise why they are the Mensch. So Goodwill is my Mensch of the Week. Is it because of their goodwill? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll be here all week, guys. That was like like one of my dad humor jokes, I would say. Goodwill this week is offering a Valentine's Day special, or I guess they are... They've put out a new ad campaign advertising asking for X's clothing. So this, this weekend on Valentine's Day, if, what you a have, move. if you have an X you're mad at in Orlando and Nevada specifically, they are advertising to give your X's clothing. I think the quote was instead of burning or throwing it away, give it to Goodwill. And they also put a very big disclaimer. We are not responsible for things that are donated <laughs> to Goodwill. So Goodwill, you funny. are a mensch. Jake, who you got for the schmuck? I've actually I've chosen a state as the schmuck of the week. Wow. The state of is this, Ho- this is a first for us. This is the state of Hawaii is the schmuck of the what? week. So Hawaii decided they had a rat problem. So they decided <laughs> to introduce a foreign, the, uh, foreign species, uh, a species called the mongoose. And now they have a mongoose problem. <laughs> and they are the schmucks? And so they're the schmucks of the week. Wow. I just thought that was a pretty funny story. <laughs> That's true. They have now they have a rat and a mongoose problem. They, <laughs> they just double down <laughs> on their issues. This is a, like a four-year-old story, but I still think they it's pretty They also have funny. a tourist problem, but I'm jealous of their warm weather, I would say. I respect that. I would say. All right, let's move on to our movie review. This week yeah. we're going to be talking about Spotlight. Spotlight. And our continuous lead-up to the Oscars. Spotlight follows... The Spotlight team at the Boston Globe, played by, led by Michael Keaton and Rachel McAdams and Mark Ruffalo. Correct. And they are in the movie trying to uncover the Boston clergy scandal from the early 2000s. 
Correct. They do so, in fact. I think this is the I think this is the best movie of the year. I completely agree with you. And we don't always agree Boy, on Boy, was this a good movie. It's not quite lock level, but <laughs> no, no Tom Hardy. That, that's an, it's true. No it's Tom a, Hardy is a, a killer. Movie can, a movie without Tom Hardy can only be so good in Nick's eyes. That's, <laughs> that's not 100% true, but I'm just going to give another. But also not false. Spotlight, it was a great, it was a great movie. What worked, what worked for you? Uh, well, there are a couple of things. I, it was a great plot. It was really well written. It's not easy to make a newspaper story interesting no. and a thriller, and it, it was that. It, that was a big part of it for me. That really built the suspense in the movie itself. And the biggest thing, which I think is missing from a lot of these Best Picture nominations, is that it was enjoyable. I yeah. watched the whole thing. I just loved it. There were parts that were a little long, and so I wish it had so, been better, uh, but that's our, such a big part. Our logo for Schmears the Deal was designed by a girl named Sophia. Shout and out. Shout out to Sophia. She would so ardently disagree with you about this being an enjoyable movie. <laughs> but I agree with you. And here's the reason why I think it's... I think it should be Best Picture. I think it was top-down a perfectly acted movie. I agree. Perfectly. The my I, I, my so favorite part wasn't... My favorite actor wasn't even the one of the actors you mentioned. I thought Stanley Tucci as the lawyer was, great. was amazing. Yeah. Uh, very good. They I, seriously. I meant, when I say top down, I mean top down. I mean everyone in the movie was everyone in it. W- they executed almost flawlessly, and that's pretty. It's pretty cool to watch. I agree. It it makes a movie, and this is what kind of going back to what you were saying. It makes a movie so much more engaging when not necessarily it's. F- functioning on all cylinders but when there aren't any noticeable holes it makes a move like when we were talking about the revenant or really any of the other movies right. we've discussed so far there have been pretty obvious holes <laughs> well, the revenant had about a two-hour hole yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally in my in my opinion um but but, ser- but seriously they all they all have noticeable holes and while this may not be a 100 percent perfect movie it has n- zero zero noticeable holes. Well, let's look at it from the imperfect part of it. So why wouldn't this win Best Picture? Because this is not favorited to win Best Picture. Revenant is, right? I know it's. I know people think it has a shot, but to me, when I watch this, act- I thought... It's actually in a, basically a three-way race between itself, The Revenant, and The Big Short. Okay. And it's not necessarily that the reason, and I think the biggest reason why it isn't the gung ho leader is two reasons. One, there is there really isn't a lead actor uh, or, right. or lead performance. It's a great team. It's a, it is a great team performance. They won the Screen Actors Guild Award for best ensemble. Best ensemble, and which is the I, equivalent of best picture, though. For it is, um, it is the most prestigious award at the SAG Awards. And, and if that award exists at the Oscars, I think they would win it. But it, it doesn't have that. It doesn't really... And this is what I was saying when we were talking about The Martian. It doesn't really... There aren't any really ethically ambiguous characters. Or characters that... They're basically good guys and bad guys in this movie, which... So it's too straightforward. It's a little straight. It's a little straightforward. It's just the team of reporters, the good guys, trying to 
uncover the bad guys. When you look at something like The Big Short, you're talking about four really, really <laughs> um, morally ambiguous characters. Right. Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? Are they both? Are they neither? And similarly exists in something like The Revenant. And that's, um, that's not present in this film. And so those are the two things that kind of keep it back from really flying as opposed to... Did you did Just you have any problems good. with the plot or with anything? Because I, I I had a couple I guess I had a couple of problems. What with were your problems? I didn't think Baron the Baron was introduced enough, uh, and he's the guy who owns the newspaper who sort of pushes the spotlight team forward. He sort of comes out of nowhere, as does the spotlight team itself. I everyone in the movie talks about oh spotlight is on this oh spotlight is doing this, but there's not as much of a background on why spotlight is so important. Right. It's I think that would be would have been hard to cover though. I agree. I'm not saying it's easy, but right. I'm being very nitpicky because I really, really enjoyed the film. So, what would you, what would you give this? Nine, nine out of ten, I think. Me too. Nine out of ten, and for me, it's it should win Best Picture. I'd for me, it's a toss up still between this I and the Big Short. I know I said it should be Best Picture. It's a toss up for me between this and the Big Short. Okay, and we'll, we will break down the Big Short. I guess let's do it next week. Then. Yeah, let's take let's take it on next week. All right, uh, and that will do it for our review segment. We will come back with a dessert, which we're going to go and get oh, right snap. now. Jake, <laughs> Jake always forgets about And then the I dessert. get so excited. So we're going to get a dessert. Oh. We're going to break down whistleblowers in the United States, whether they're good or bad, which is something we're very interested in. And we'll have a final toast, and that'll be it for us. And this is Schmear's The Deal. Section 215 is overseen by a secret intelligence court known as the FISA court, and they've interpreted it to mean the government could basically collect and store phone records for every American, the vast majority of whom, of course, have no connection to terrorism, unless Aunt Cheryl has been gravely mischaracterising the activities of her needlepoint club. It's a sleeper cell, isn't it, Aunt Cheryl? You will hang for this, Aunt Cheryl. You're a traitor and a terrible aunt. Not in that order. Welcome back to Schmears the Deal. I'm still Nick Feynman. He's still Jake Seawalk. I am. We are Black Seed Bagels sitting at one of the back tables, drinking some coffee. We finished our bagels. We've moved on to the dessert course. Jake got I have no idea what Jake got. I don't All I asked was, are you allergic to almonds? <laughs> that's that's true. That was the only question Ooh, I received. Look at that cookie. That looks great. We have an oatmeal almond chocolate chip cookie typically jake broke it and gave me the smaller side that's pretty much been one of the recurring parts of the third dessert segment and mm. also smears the deal in general yo that's a great cookie wow that's very very guys good. that's a great cookie thank seriously. you seriously that's that's premiere all the pastries are cooked in house we were just informed which is great so let's Let's dig as we dig into the cookie. Let's dig into a topic we are both interested in. So that we are definitely both not experts in, but we want to talk about today. So Nick approached me. I think this was a day after our last episode, saying that he he'd like to talk about Julian Assange, and it led to a conversation. Pardon me, swallowing my cookie, that broadened out to a slightly larger scope to whistleblowers more within the context of the history of the United States. Specifically, are they good guys or bad guys? And this is the first segment that we've done where, in which I felt like, even though I'm definitely, I think, having done uh, a significant amount of homework on this, more informed than probably the average person, I still feel like 
I have nowhere even close, not even close to a full scope of understanding of the situation. And th- th- But there are a number of reasons behind that. There are a number of questions which we will get to uh, about how the whistleblower in the modern age has come about and why its significance and its controversy, which is a big part. I will say just the reason why I was interested in Assange was because there was an important ruling for him at the UN this week. He has been holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London for three years now. He is evading rape charges in Sweden that he claims were brought on by the U.S. government and their allies uh, in order to stop WikiLeaks and put them in a legal bind. That's his claim. He also has been accused by other women of other, I guess we could say, sexual problems. And... They re- yeah, like no reason to beat around the bush. They've been accused of sexual assault. Multiple, correct, yeah. multiple times. And Sweden obviously still wants to talk to him. Ecuador has given him stay in their embassy. The UN this week ruled that he has been kept in under stay unfairly. And it brought back up a topic that has always interested me, which is I'm always fascinated in people that I cannot tell if they're good or bad. And I think that plays into the overall trend of whistleblowers especially within this country um edward snowden bradley manning now chelsea manning and going all the way back to jake point out to watergate and so that was something i found particularly interesting is before i get into it it's i wanted to just go back to what i was saying earlier which is um I, i would really highly recommend that if this is if this is something that you find particularly interesting to go um go do a lot of supplemental research and we put an article from wired that profiles uh, mr snowden i would i would argue that that 2014 profile of edward snowden is a top five journalistic work like a really phenomenal read in the last well since 2014 last two years so let's go back to what we were saying mark felt is really interesting to me because and who is mark felt he is the Uncovered Watergate, essentially. Deep throat from Watergate. He's deep throat. And the whistleblower, the leaker to Woodward and Bernstein, that led to Nixon going down. He is, by and large, regarded as a good guy, right? And there are overwhelmingly... And at the time, he was being hunted. Right. And there are overwhelmingly few people that look back at him and say, he was a bad guy, I side with Nixon. But simultaneously... You look at Mr. Assange, Mr. Snowden, it's much more 50-50. And Miss Manning. Yeah. No. Oh, that, that's highly linked to uh, Assange. Assange. And WikiLeaks. And it kind of led me to do some digging as to, like, what really separates them. And it really, it ultimately comes down to the two Mark Felt only releasing documents revolving around one issue specifically. Um, and didn't endanger other people, the U.S. would argue, like right. some of the Snowden, Manning, and Assange exactly. releases have. So there's, the, there's the, and this is talking about Snowden and Assange specifically, what's really put me in a little bit of a... Should we just give, let me just give a little bit of background on each, really quick. I would just give so quick pros and, pros and cons arguments. Okay, but let, so Assange grew up in Australia, was a child hacker, had... Had thirty one like in the late eighties was already hacking right and had thirty one counts levied against him by the Australian government for hacking. At by the way, bold move. He's planning an election run 
in Australia. Yeah, well, he's hated there, too, by a lot of people. So Assange's pros were that he sort of was one of the first guys to start the idea that you could leak a large number of documents online and give them to journalists, which is what he did with WikiLeaks, and sort of started the modern whistleblower trend, which is much different, in my opinion, than... Yes, and it, then, very different. ...than Deep Throat. I think... Well, let me finish with Snowden, and then I'll get back to this, but I think it revolves around 9-11, which is a big aspect of this. So, yeah, for sure. So Snowden came around in 2013. He was an NSA contractor, former CIA. He saw what the NSA was doing and spying on people. He stole a bunch of the files, ended up releasing them, went on the lam, is now in Russia in an undisclosed location. He is seeking asylum in other countries, but Russia has granted him stay for a couple more years. So the 9-11 thing is a big aspect of this because the U.S. is sort of at this crossroads, which is... Do we believe in individual privacy or do we want national security? And it's n- obviously not that black and white, but it seems in politics it has become the thing that is question. That it's, it's one of the few instances where it it almost is that black and white, though. It's Well, it, with it, the NSA specifically, are they really going to be tapping everyone's phones or are they, are they going to let people operate on their own? Right. It's, it's essentially, it all comes down to that. And to... To go into the pros and cons, it, it is essentially which side you take. On it's that question. On that, exactly, on that question. It's someone like Edward Snowden specifically. Let's just talk about him. You have to choose one of the two because they're essentially the same pros, or pros and cons. It's the, the That's pr- not true. Assange has many, many more cons. That's true. Although although I would argue that, so let's talk that about Snowden, Snowden would not have been possible without Assange, even though Assange is definitely not a good guy in my opinion. So... Someone like Edward Snowden, he, the cons against him are that he released 1.7 million documents, a lot of which government officials There's say... There's an asterisk on that, and we'll get to that, yeah, which yeah. is an interesting part. A lot of um, government officials say, really endangered the United States. You know, they're telling China that we're hacking China, and goes on and on and on. But he also he also alerted and this is just topical now. He alerted the world to encryption, which is what ISIS right. ISIS released a video yesterday using an Edward Snowden video talking about encryption. If right. you didn't know, and, and so it's a continued problem for the US in that res- There are all, and and all of the cons go along those lines. It's he released information that hurts the country. But he also released information that helps the people within the country because it alerted or educates the, the people or educates i should say more than helps because it just educates them it has educated us to the knowledge that basically everything we say do go et cetera, et cetera, is monitored 24/7 yeah let's time. just give a quick shout out to the nsa that's quick shout out what's up nsa in real time um, how's it going that's well, essentially I hope the NSA likes bagels. what it boils down to <laughs> and it's I agree. That's the question. A hard conversation to tackle because it essentially, going back to what you were saying, is do do people care that they're being monitored? That's a big aspect. Do you care? No. I do not care. I thought what Snowden did was very important, and we've I've mentioned it on this show before, but I think a statue will be enacted to him eventually Interesting. In, the, in the United States, and he will be welcomed back as a hero. And sort of viewed as as see, I don't think he'll be welcomed back as a hero. I think that he'll be after his time on this 
Earth is done, I think that he'll he'll be looked back at as a really positive figure. I think it's gonna be very hard for him to I, I, regain any semblance of credibility in the country. So, well, there's. Let me just go on a little tangent about Snowden, which is I think the most interesting part of this, and it's it's sprung from the Wired profile, which we recommended at the beginning of this. The the idea that everything that is attributed to Snowden leak wise is not just Edward Snowden. And it's a pretty widespread theory outside of the United States that a lot of the documents, for example, the Germany spying and China spying you were talking about, right. were actually documents that Snowden could never have had access to time-wise. And the idea is, and the theory is, and I have no way of proving this, but it's fascinating to me, is that the U.S. saw Snowden, they saw what happened, and other people were inspired by him and started leaking right. in the NSA. Under his name. And the U.S. Did, no, not under his name. That's the, what the Wired profile says. Right. But the, if you continue to keep reading other theories about this, the idea is that the U.S. saw that Snowden, everyone knew Snowden already. He was a villain. Some people loved him. But they didn't want to create any more martyrs. So they just started attributing everything to Snowden, which is a fascinating idea to me and a brilliant strategic move by the United States, you, I think. Quick tangent. Have you seen Making a Murderer yet? Yes. But pretty, I don't want to go on that tangent. Let's not, that's a long tangent. Watch that show if you have Talking it. about are you good or bad. Right. But it, it, it's honestly... A, a, and it's not a similar debate. <laughs> I'm not even going to say that. Well, it's not. But it's you have... And this is the thing that interests me about people like this and about situations like this. You have the question, which is such a stark should be yes or no question. But with these people is not obvious. Are they good or are they bad? And I right. think a lot of that you have to attribute with whistleblowers. You have to attribute to what they cost. So, what they did you say cost or what caused? they cost? So we can't we can't ever know what their motives were. We can have well, an, we can have no we can have an idea and they can say what their motives are, but fair. it's ultimately the fair. outcome. It's ultimately the outcome. It, it, I'm it not going to argue with and, you on and that. And I think Snowden, for me, I think Snowden had a net positive outcome. And I think a lot of people, especially See, the our thing generation, is, I think he has way. a net neutral outcome. I don't think that it's a net negative, but I, I definitely don't think it's net positive. I really actually disagree with that. Why, why is that? It's hard for me to go into too much detail because I'm not a security expert. But it's caused, even if it, when you're talking about even the pros, I, I attribute a lot of cons to that as well. I think that, you know, when you're talking about the education, quote-unquote, of the United States population and informing them as to the NSA's behavior, I think... I don't... I think, I think the NSA should be able to do that. Do you, so you don't care if you're being... I, if you're being moderate? Not even a little bit. Neither, neither do I. And, but, but and do you think I think it's a bad thing that the people know that they are because it... it, it, it paints the government in a it puts the government in a bad light in the eyes of the population that they govern and unfairly so i believe i believe i think that even that pro has a very heavy con attributed to it because it i think that it's hard for me to vocalize i just think that what what they do is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that it's being po- I think it's being pretty. They they're being villainized for it. They're being villainized exactly. They're being villainized for something that I but think. But doesn't does America? Isn't this country built on the idea that individuals should have freedom of speech and thought? Yeah, and but also it was built before the internet. So 
Well, how that, does, I think that's an antiquated but, argument. But, but that's an interesting point. How does the internet change whistleblowers versus like a deep throat? Does it make them more sinister? Does their information become more dangerous? Because that's an aspect of this. Because deep throat was never was never found out or prosecuted. Right. Or I think. Yes. I don't. I don't want to say more sinister. That's. I think that's a pretty aggressive word. But it certainly. But these people are charged with espionage. Right. And could go to jail for tens of years. I also don't think that he's. And this is where, you know, I've like, I wouldn't say I've had moral grapplings, but I also don't necessarily think he's a bad guy. I think that. He's just done something that's, again, net neutral. neutral. And that's, a, I think, a pretty, a pretty low percentage of people uh, in the pie chart agree with me that it's neither positive nor negative. There's, it, a, it, lot there's, of, a, there's a lot of feelings in either direction. There are a lot of feelings in either direction. I think that ultimately they... Uh, they weigh each other out. I think that uh, with Snowden in particular, when we when you talk about someone like Julian Assange, it's uh, it's a little different. And when you talk about someone like Mark Felt, it's also a little different. Those tend to go in one direction or the other. Whereas I generally, think Snowden generally at this point, Assange is considered bad. Felt is considered good. Snowden is a little more of a toss-up. Although he, ultimately, I do think he. Will I'd end say up that being he's much more. Debated. I also think that he'll end up when being he, regarded when history positive. for this it, isn't is written. Well, if you just look at. Tr- historical trends in whistleblowing history they more often than not end up being looked back on positively and snowden also led to the main uh, to the main debate which has been going on uh for example since san bernardino with encryption software i don't know if you saw this week but the two terrorists in in San Bernardino, they still can't crack their phones yeah. because of encryption software. So this is a bit debate that will continue. It'll be something that is brought up for many years to come. Snowden, even when he comes back to the United States, if he cuts a deal, which is possible. So we will see. It's super interesting. It's fascinating. If you guys, if people, I need to read more you, about you, it. You I would love to it. do a follow-up segment on this. At Absolutely. Some point. Citizen Four was is a great movie. Also, yeah, you, I've started watching. I it. would definitely recommend it. All right. Well, let's uh, go to our last segment. This is the final toast. All right, Nick. Who are you final toasting? Oh boy, you're gonna hate my final toasty. You're gonna hate him. Okay, I'm a former like, owner of the St. Louis Rams, Stan Kroenke. Is that well, how you pronounce it? Yeah, but I mean, he's the, he's the. Let's say he's the former owner of the St. Louis Rams. He's the owner of the formerly St. Louis Rams. <laughs> he's the owner of the now Los Angeles Rams and kind of resident douchebag on the show. We, we hit him. I'd say bit. that he's the resident douchebag of the world. I would. I'm there are so <laughs> few people that like him. <laughs> he he also like looks. Like who are his friends? He looks like a wax he figure. Is the Julian worst. Assange. I bet he's friends with Julian Assange. What do you want to know? Anyway, he looks like a wax figure. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> he looks like a wax figure. He's creepy as hell. He has this little pencil mustache. I, w- I want to toast him for embracing how big of a D-bag he is. And buying a $725 million ranch this week, which is bigger than the city of Los Angeles. It's pretty crazy. That's it. Toast goes out to you. You never cease to amaze me. My final toast goes out to those that have dropped out of the presidential election. (laughs) More this week. Uh, Miss Fiorina. Fiorina. And 
sadly, the local man, Mr. Christie. If you, if R.I.P. to their campaigns. If listeners haven't been watching the Hungry for Power games with Stephen Colbert, they're so they are so good. YouTube <laughs> Hungry for Power games. He dresses up like Stanley Tucci from the Hunger Games and it just rips into these candidates. It's really that drop fun. Out. Hopefully, there'll be a new one this week or tonight. Yeah, he has hopefully. another. And so All I right. think that'll do it for us. Many, many thanks to Black Seed Bagel, to Grace, and everyone here. It's been really great to be here. Yeah. Also, if you get a chance, subscribe on iTunes. Write us a review. It's hugely, hugely helpful. It is hugely helpful. And I think that's probably going to do it for us. We will do better next time. And stay toasty out there. Schmears the Deal is brought to you this week by Black Seed Bagels in the East Village of New York City and is produced by Jacob Seawalk and Nick Feynman in association with Team Panther Productions. Thanks this week to Larry David and John Oliver, with special thanks to our guest, Diana Dauhan. Please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, or for more information, please visit schmearsthedeal.com.